Good morning. How are we all doing? We doing well? Good, good, good. Great. My name is Paul. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at King's and uh, it's uh, my privilege to be speaking to you this evening. Welcome to our morning, morning. I'll be doing it this evening as well. Welcome, welcome to our family celebration of uh, Christmas. I look forward to seeing you all on the bouncy castles later. Um, there might have to be a bit of a queue as we're all, uh, all, all bouncing unison together, I am sure. I hope you've got all your Christmas shopping done. As, as, put your hand up if you haven't yet started your Christmas shopping. Oh, right, okay, there's a few of you there. Put your hand up if you have finished your Christmas shopping. Boo. No, well done. That's, that's really impressive. Put your hand up if you've got all your Christmas decorations at home. Wow. And, and leave them up. Leave them up if you were joyful when you put them up or if you were grumpy like me yesterday. Oh, there's a few joyful people when they put... Isn't it funny, you know, you're putting up Christmas decorations, flashy lights, all this sort of stuff, and there, there am I, bar humbug with my cold, feeling really sorry for myself, you know. But uh, anyway, I was full of all good Christmas cheer and stuff like that. Anyway, singing those carols has really got me in the mood, so really got me um, in the swing. Isn't it brilliant? I mean, some of the truth that we are singing out uh, this morning is uh, absolutely um, outstanding. I thought before we dive into the nativity story, which is what we're going to be doing, um, I thought it would be great just to introduce Kings to you a little bit. Some of you may not be familiar who we are um, as a church. We've been going for now, now for just over 40 years, so uh, we're, ne- we're nearly respectable which is good, um, although I do know a few 40-year-olds who aren't that respectable, so I'm, I'm not quite certain where we sit there. Um, I, think, I think you'd call us a lively church. We believe the Bible, um, and we look to uh, put into practice what the Bible teaches. Um, on any given Sunday, we can have up to 500 people um, at the meetings uh, that we hold, whether it's in the morning or um, in the evening, and it really does go from zero right the way up to 90, and I saw, I think Baby Mutu has just arrived, is that right? So, so um, Joe and Janae's little baby born just a few, a week ago? A week ago, yeah. Um, so, so seven days right up to 90 years of old, we really are a family and we absolutely uh, love being a family. Um, we care a lot for Hastings, we really do. We care a lot for the community um, that we are part of and one of the ways we express that is through things like food bank or baby basics or the debt advice and we have the joy and privilege of being able to partner with other churches um, in serving the community in those ways but we also get to serve the community through this building so we love the fact that it's open a lot during the week come up for a coffee we love it's open for different community um, things going on as well and at the moment we meet here at 10 o'clock And we then also meet a bit later at 6 o'clock for 6 o'clock church. But in the new year, we're really excited about this. We are going to be starting a new church meeting over in Becks Hill, um, which is really good. So if you come from that neck of the woods and you'd like to check us out, um, from the 21st of January, we will be meeting in Becks Hill College in the theatre building, why don't you come along and have a look? And the reality is, actually, if you're not from that way, if you're from over in Hastings, St. Leonard's, you know you can join us any Sunday. 
10 o'clock, 6 o'clock, why don't you come along and have a look and see what we do um, on a normal, uh, normal Sunday. So we're going to be uh, unpacking the nativity story. We're going to be taking it um, from Matthew's gospel. Now, Matthew was one of the close followers of Jesus. Um, he, he walked, talked, he was with him for about uh, three years. And about 30 years after his death, he decided to write um, this gospel, this story about Jesus, who he is, what he got up to. So it's only 30 years after his death, he started to record to write it all down. Now, when you think that Princess Diana only died 20 years ago, and if you're getting on a bit like me, you probably have, you know, you can maybe have some memories of I don't know, maybe where were you when you heard the news that she died in the car accident? Or you remember the funeral or all the flowers outside Buckingham Palace. It's amazing actually how good our memories can be even a number of years later. Well, Matthew recorded this story about Jesus um, 20 to 30 years after the death of Jesus. And he was, he was quite a detailed guy. I mean, we're not going to hold this against him. He was actually a tax man by trade. So, uh, um, but he obviously decided he'd found a better way and decided to become a disciple of Jesus instead. Um, Not that you can't be a tax man and a disciple of Jesus, I'm sure you can do both, um, but Matthew decided to uh, uh, not do that. But as I was preparing for this and as I was looking um, at Matthew chapter 1, I came came across a bit of a problem, which I'm going to uh, explain to you um, a little bit uh, later on. But let me first just read these verses to you. So we're going to read Matthew um, chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 18 and go through to verse um, 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, so that's before they'd had sex, she found that she was with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put, him to, put, him, put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. I mean, that must have freaked him out, mustn't it? Can you imagine that? You're just asleep and this angel appears in a dream and gives very, very direct instructions. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, is from God. She shall bear a child, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in verses 21 through to 23, we really get to the heart of the Christmas message. We actually get to the heart um, of Christianity itself. But that's where the problem, I found, lies as well. Because it says this, She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And it was all based around this word sin. That's what um, caused me a bit of problem because I've been a pastor for about 10 years and when you're a pastor, you talk about think about things like sin quite a lot. It's quite a normal, everyday word that gets used. But before um, I, I was a pastor, I worked for a building contractor. And in, in the 10 or 11 years I was a building contractor, I cannot remember one instance where a bricklayer turned round and said, can I tell you about my sin? I don't think I ever heard the word sin used on the building site 
or, or, or in the office where I was working or anything like that. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know what? I don't think the word sin is really used in society these days. So I googled it to find out. Find out. I'm not certain I'd recommend it, but I typed sin into Google search and waited to see what would come up. Anyway, <laughs> these are some of the things that I found. The, the first thing that came up top of the Google search um, is the whole thing about living in sin. So I, I, the idea of it is, is that you are living with someone that you are not married with, and that can be termed living in sin. Another, another search thing that came up was Sin City, which is, um, uh, so I understand, Las Vegas. And with all the casinos and the lights and everything that's going on there. I also found a little bit further down the Google search, um, uh, more sort of religious connotations, um, both Christians and Muslims. If I'm honest, it wasn't overly positive. Didn't really enjoy reading that one. I was then watching TV the other night, um, and there was an advert came up for French soft cheese. And uh, it came, the tagline came up at the end saying, sinfully satisfying. So I thought, right, okay, that's, that's another soft cheese is another way. And then a friend of mine, and I wouldn't mention who it is, Natalie, would say that, <laughs> did I, oh, I did say. But anyway, she, she, was, she was just talking about, you know, that when she eats too much chocolate that she never does, she says, you know, well, well, sometimes maybe that feels like that's a sinful thing to do, that people would use sin in that connotation. And as I thought about it, I can't believe that God sent Jesus to save people from French soft cheese. <laughs> I, I, I can't believe that he, he came to save Natalie from eating too much chocolate at the weekend or... To be quite honest, for, for a number of you here, you, you will be in a relationship with someone, living with someone. You're not married, but actually, you're really happy. You're very, very fulfilled. I, I don't want, you know, you might think, I don't want to be saved from that. I'm, I'm quite happy, thank you very much. So where does sin really fit into the world these days? Maybe it's just out of date. It's a concept that's long forgotten that isn't important anymore. But... I think if you pause for a moment, and I'm going to try and help you, I want to provoke you, I think actually all of us, I'm hoping, will agree at the end that actually we see sin all around us. We see evil, we see hatred, we see different expressions of sin all around. And the reality is we can't really celebrate the Christmas story if we haven't understood the problem. I think sin is seen in the civil wars in Syria and Yemen. I think there's a photo to come up, yeah. Where hundreds of thousands of innocent lives are taken apart. I think sin is seen in the traffickers dealing in human flesh to make a profit. Whatever the cost, whatever the misery... I wonder if sin is seen, I don't know, in bankers wanting bigger bonuses and taking risks with people's pensions and bank accounts. I wonder if it's seen in the MP's expenses scandal. 
I wonder if it's seen in the sexual harassment stuff that's in the media at the moment, where the rich and powerful exploit who they are over other people. I wonder if it's seen in the breakdown of relationships, whatever type of relationship that is, and the broken trust and the emotional damage that is caused. I wonder if it's seen in the Black Friday rush for a cheap TV. Get out the way! I just must have. I wonder if, like me, it's seen as you drive up Harrow Lane behind a Nissan Micra. (laughs) At 28 miles an hour. And then decides to swing a right without indicating... Apologies if it's any of you. <laughs> but, but it's amazing, isn't it? In that sort of situation, for me, what comes up, what boils up, I was quite peaceful until that Nissan Micra driver. But it wasn't them that's the problem. It's what's in there. That's the problem. Maybe it's seen in the tearing down of others. Just a bit of friendly gossip while you're having a coffee, talking behind someone's back, and rather than building them up, you're pulling them down. I mean, how often is it that we fail to live up to our own expectations, let alone the expectations of those around us? Sin may be a quaint word used by religious people and not really in society at all. But what it represents is a devastating reality all the same. The truth is we do see sin in the world. We see it all over the place. But the frightening thing, it's not just out there. It's in here. It's not just in Syria and Yemen. It's not just in the human trafficking. It's not just in the sexual harassment stuff. I find I don't don't have to pause very long. It's worrying to see, to know that it resides within me as well. We see it in the breakdown of nations, but we see it in the breakdown of friendships. You know, people who were great friends and then something happened and they haven't spoken for years. And there's just bitterness all in there. And they're not even quite certain what it was that caused it, but, but now there's a complete breakdown, a separation that has taken place. You see, you find the same seed sin just expressed in different fruit pride anger selfishness bitterness greed lust impatience and there's no one immune from it men women young old rich poor educated uneducated religious You know, religious people are just as sinful as secular. Different ethnicities, the same seed, sin, just seen in different fruit. And sin at its core is the overwhelming desire to live independently from God. To choose my own course, 
to make my own decisions that suit me. And the really frightening thing is, this isn't something subjective. I don't get to set the rules on what sin is. My family doesn't get to set the rules on what sin is. My society even doesn't get to set the rules of what is right or wrong, but God does. Because he is the creator and the sustainer of all things. That's what the Bible says. He sets the rules. Our fads, our desires, they change, they go up and down. God is unchanging. Sin separates people from God. It's like a barrier that can't be overcome. It's like a cancer that needs curing. That's why sin is a problem. That's why 2,000 years ago, the promise was made. The baby was born. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. That's why when I'm singing these carols, I can lift my hands in the air. I have a smile on my face because I know the reality that this isn't just a nice fairy tale. There's a reality to it. It's life-changing. It's dealt with the biggest problem that I've ever faced as an individual or any individual has ever faced because sin covers and crosses all boundaries, all strata of society, all types of people. That's the reality of it. God, I bet you're pleased you came this morning. Happy Christmas! So how on earth are we going to deal with this problem of sin? How on earth does it get dealt with? I mean, how can a baby 2,000 years ago have any relevance to me now? I mean, how? It's, it's, even if you make that assertion, you're daft. That's what you might be thinking. But it says it in the next verse. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The wonder is that through Emmanuel, God with us, sin gets dealt with in Jesus. That's the very reason the baby was born. That's the very reason that Jesus came, was that this thing that blights every single one of us might get dealt with. It is wonderful. It is joyful news. That's why there's angels singing out and everyone involved in the story, other than Herod, is really happy. Because this saviour king has come and they realise the problem and the joyful news that Jesus has come to turn it around and to put it right. It is brilliant, brilliant news. Something that had been hinted at for centuries in the past now had come. It had arrived. He was here. Amazing. Jesus, God clothed in flesh, clothed in humanity, a human being stepping down to save you and me. You know, religion is all about us stepping up to try and reach God. Can I, if I do enough good stuff, reach up to God? The Christmas story is a wonderful reversal. It's a wonderful reversal on religion. It's God who stepped down to reach out to us in order to lift us up. It's amazing to consider that Jesus lived life on earth for over 30 years and he did not sin. It's incredible. And it's not as though he hid himself, hid himself away in a monastery or lived in a cave. He, he just lived and interacted with normal people like you 
and me. He was around broken people. But it was him living this life that made it possible for him to be our saviour. It's that he was sinless from the start to finish that made it work. Although he was tempted in every way, just like we are, and he had every opportunity and provocation to sin, if you read the um, end of Matthew, the gospel story in Matthew, you'll, you'll find immense provocation. But he didn't, not, not an ounce. And that didn't make him self-righteous. I don't know about you. But if I'd been as good as Jesus, if I was as good as Jesus, I would be awful to live with. Because everyone would know. But it didn't make him self-righteous. Jesus full of compassion. He attracted those to him that society had shunned, ignored and despised. The incarnation... Jesus clothing himself with flesh is a mind-blowing demonstration of God's unrelenting, unconditional, outrageous love for us. All can come and know him. All are invited. The invite is for everyone. Any can come. I mean, how often is it that your words and actions don't measure up. Guys, how often have you said, right, I'm going to do this, and you don't live up to what you've said? But what we find in this book, what we find in the Bible, is that Jesus loves us. God loves us. What we see in Jesus' actions are that God loves us. What we find as we come to him is that he pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit and we realise God loves us. He's not someone that makes big promises and doesn't come through. He delivers on every single promise. Sometimes we can assume that God is austere, distant, stern. You know, even the fact I'm talking about sin might even reinforce that fact. You think, well, I just don't know if I want to know God. I don't know if God could ever accept me. I'm sure I have done too many things wrong. But Jesus tells a short story to give us an insight into what God is like. And it's a story of the prodigal son. It's a story of a son that comes to his father and says, Dad, I know you're not dead yet but I'd really like my inheritance now. I really can't be bothered, Dad, to wait until you die, so can I have it now? Can you give it to me now? Because I really want to get on and get living. And in a sense, what the prodigal son is saying is, I, I want it now. Actually, I'd rather you were dead. The father gives the son his part of the inheritance, and the son goes off and squanders it doesn't invest it wisely, absolutely loses the whole lot. When a famine comes in on the land, the son is left absolutely penniless and at the end of himself. 
He's working for someone who isn't even paying him a decent amount of money and is living off the food that the animals were eating. And then he comes to his senses and he thinks, even, even the servants of my father have food in their bellies. Maybe if I went back to him and said, I'm sorry because I have messed up, I realise I have totally offended my father, maybe, maybe he would let me stay in his house and I would at least be able to eat the same food that the servants have. So he heads back. When he's still a long way off, the father sees him in the distance. And he hitches up his robes, because in those days they didn't wear jeans and trainers. He hitches up his robes and he runs. Old boys in this time didn't run, and they certainly didn't show their ankles while they were running. He ran. He hugged his son. He kissed his son. He welcomed his son. He put a robe on him and a ring on his finger. He accepted him back to full status as a son. And Jesus told this story to say, you know what? The reason I'm telling you this is because it doesn't matter how far you are away from God. It doesn't matter how many times you think you've let him down. All can come. Any can come. The invitation is for all. The question is, will you come or not? Will you come or not? I celebrate at Christmas... Because a real problem, sin, has been dealt with by the real, the only, the wonderful person of Jesus Christ. And I can stand here right now knowing that I am forgiven in God's sight. Not on the basis of what I've done. I've not earned my, earned my way through. Too many of you know my failings. You know I'm not able to do it myself. But because of what Jesus came to do. God with us, Emmanuel. It is a wonderful, wonderful promise. Matthew was a tax man. Matthew wrote a systematic and orderly account that we would know and understand these things. It was written for Matthew's audience, but it's written for us as well that we wouldn't be unclear. We find sin is a problem. We know it, don't we? Just looking at those pictures, you know it is. And if you pause and look inside, you know it's a problem here too. But the wonderful news is that in Jesus Christ, we find freedom from sin. We find forgiveness. We find cleansing. We find life to the full. It is a wonderful, wonderful promise. Can I invite the band um, back up, please, just as I'm closing? I really feel what I'd love to do just as I close this bit is I'd really just love us to pray that we would all individually um, know God with us, Emmanuel, God with us over this Christmas period. So whether um, you're part of this church and uh, you come along regularly or whether actually you, you don't come very often, this is a bit of a one-off for you, I'd really love to pray 
that you would know over this season, at this time, Emmanuel, God with us through this time. So can I ask you to stand, please? I'm going to pray, I'm going to close my eyes, I might raise my hands as well, I don't know what I'm going to do yet actually, but I might do those things. Feel, feel free, if you want to close your eyes you can, if you want to raise your hands you can, it's, it's totally up to you. In a sense it's just a way of saying that I'm open, I'm, I'm receptive to God. If you're there, if you're real, come and work in my life. Lord, I thank you so much for the promise in the Bible. I thank you Jesus that you came that you lived, that you died, that you rose again. Emmanuel, God with us. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here this morning. I pray right now, would you come and work in our hearts and our lives. I pray for troubled hearts and minds that we would know your peace and your joy in this season. I pray we'd know your closeness rushing into us. I pray for those of us that, that don't know you and um, have come along because invited by a friend or whatever that might be. I ask you, Lord Jesus, would you reveal yourself over this Christmas season, Lord, that they would um, come to understand something of who you are and why you came. Holy Spirit, we look for your work of grace right now. I pray for your peace that transcends all understanding to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Pray from the back to the front. From the left to the right. Pray, Holy Spirit, would you be very much at work, bringing peace. Sometimes um, God speaks to us and he gives us what we call um, sort of prophetic words, a bit of insights into what's going on. I just wonder if there's someone here um, right now, I think there is, and you've just received some really bad news, either this morning or late last night and you nearly didn't come because of it. And I just love the opportunity to pray for you if you're in that situation. I'll be at the front um, here at the end of the meeting I'll get to the bouncy castles later, but I'll be at the front to start with. Just come down and find me, and um, I'd love to uh, pray with you. If you want to find out more about what I've been talking about, Jesus, in the Christmas message, Alpha is a great place to explore it. Just gives you time. I think it's an hour, hour and a quarter each week, six, seven weeks, where you just get to ask some of these questions. Just get to explore it. I've also got a whole load of Matthew's Gospels um, at the front. Uh, If you you haven't got a Bible but you'd like to know more about Jesus, why don't you just wander around this way at the end there, just on the front of the stage. Come pick one up. Don't just pick it up, take it, and um, just have a read over the Christmas period. Have Have a look, explore who Jesus is and what he came to do. Brilliant. I think we're going to listen to a song. I'll sit down. Could you all be seated, please?